Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 20 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So the first question we get after an LOI gets accepted is, okay, what's next? Often, in addition to the financial diligence, a primary way to get to know the practice and the seller is to have a site visit. Maybe it's the first time in the practice, or maybe it's just the first time you're actually looking around. Regardless, in today's episode, we'll go over what to consider on the very important and very talked about site visit. Hey, Charles, what's going on? What's up, Christy? There's a lot going on in life at the moment. I'm going to give you a quick little personal story. All right. And then I have a funny podcast story that right. I heard yesterday. So, do tell, do tell. Um, so for you are aware, but for everyone else that isn't aware, do not ignore your appendix. So my husband over the last two weeks had a ruptured appendix and not the cute little laparoscopic three holes in and out on a day, but the big, open, gross wound, big surgery. And so I have been... Then, in addition to dental transition specialist, mom and wife, I am now also a nurse. Caretaker. Caretaker. But he's back and almost back to normal. So, hallelujah. Well, I love the fact when you're coming back, I'm like, are you okay? Because we all knew, <laughs> stay away from Christy. This, you, you look like you had your hands full. We were just like, is he okay? And more importantly, is Christy okay? All the single mamas out there, <laughs> I salute you. But also yesterday, so I had a really funny story. So working with a buyer and he is going to buy a practice and he's moving from Alabama to another state and we're at the lease. And so we've LOIs negotiated, we've got lending, and now we're talking about the lease. And on the lease, there's a clear assignment clause in the lease, so no issue. Well, once he starts talking to the landlord, now there's an issue, and now the landlord's saying it can't be assigned. And so the broker, who shall not be named, comes back as a solution to this problem of the lease assignment, which doesn't appear to be a problem because it's clearly an obligation of the landlord in this lease, but we're having issues, comes back and says, I have a solution to this lease problem. What is the solution? Let's change the structure of the deal from an asset sale to a stock sale. Crazy. So buyer texts me a picture of this conversation he's had with the broker and says, isn't this ridiculous? I've clearly listened to the podcast and know this is like not a good idea. And my one word was like, all caps, like not a good idea. Do not do, you know, do this. But I just think it's great that people are listening and, and, I love it. and just picking up those little tidbits that we say all the time and, and hopefully at least stopping them from doing something yeah. that they well, couldn't do. I've got so. a podcast story as well I want to share. But uh, first is my son's about ready to graduate. Uh, We're having all of the graduation ceremonies and this little 65 little class graduation. Uh, they go one by one and they have to say something about them. And so all the teachers refer to him as the gentle giant. Oh, I love that. Yes. The six, seven, two thirty, gentle, gentle giant. There's an emotional part of me that yeah. is sad, but there's an emotional part that's kind of happy. Kind of excited. <laughs> I know. I'm ready for phase that's two. That's such, like, I remember that feeling. I mean, like a long time ago at this point, but I remember that, like, just, it's the one time in your life where you're like, you've accomplished something. It's like that and college graduation and maybe just a couple more that have that feeling. So, yes. So uh, there's a lot of business at the Loretto household. The podcast story I thought was really cool. This is a particular uh, client we're working with both the client, so it's a dual representation, so I'm working with both the established doctor and working with the younger doctor. And the younger doctor goes to the practice and then the financials are amazing. I mean, you know this practice is like a million dollar practice mm-hmm. with like a 45% overhead. Oh, yeah. So it, it makes like 500 plus thousand dollars. 
Well, the seller, this he, is in the practice and looks and everything is so outdated. I mean, just comes back like Charles, you are not believe how bad this is. I mean, there's either sticky notes everywhere, there's paper charts everywhere, it's a little disorganized, like I'm clueless. And so I want to make some upgrades, but I know we've already agreed upon the price because they did. They agreed upon basically a $900,000 price, about 90% of collections. And so it's a little sticky subject because I told both of them, I said, seller and buyer, if I work with both of you, you need to understand I work on flat fees and I'm going to come back to one of you and say, we need a little give here. And so I told the senior doctor who's like in his 70s, hey, remember when I said we need to kind of give a little bit here? Well, the buyer is now looking at everything. They're going to need to make some updates on equipment. It's not major, but there's going to need a little give here. And pause and says, Charles, I've been following you and listening to your podcast. So I understand. I know I need to give. And they always, you know, make little jabs about, you know, Christy is the better one of the podcast, you know. <laughs> so so they, they always love Christy. And I get it. I get it. She's yeah. the favorite of the two. But the point is that I love the fact that this tool is there to help people with a lot of these major decisions. And so um, no, and I'm excited I- about this one so we can kind of take yeah, this relationship and that, further. And that rolls right into kind of what we're talking about today. But one more thing on that. I love that it also highlights that you're not that different, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because a lot of the stories we tell, you know, you just told that story and I can think of two other people we're working with that might fit that mold and maybe it's a different collection level and different percentage or whatever. But a lot of these transition concepts that we're talking about are kind of common across a oh, lot yes. of pieces. And it's just trying to figure out kind of, kind of what the human piece of it is and kind of what's different about the unique practice that maybe adds a little, you know, and a little extra kind of detour, but the goal is to get to the same end place. And so we're going to talk about the site visit today because it's something that we think everyone needs to do. Some of them are more important than others, but it's important to understand how many times you're going to visit the practice and what you should garner from each of those visits. So we're going to focus today, you know, the first question is, when should I do this and how long should I do it and how many visits? This is not your initial, I'm going to go to the practice and meet the seller and just see the location. Right. This is the second or third or fourth time you've been there where now we have a letter of intent that's agreed upon. We know our terms. We are fully committed to this process. We are now trying to figure out and make sure we understand and taking a deeper dive in what we're looking at. I compare this to, I'm going to go to the open house and I'm going to look and make sure I want to put in an offer. But then when I go back to the house, I'm looking at the baseboards and I'm looking at how the cabinets open and just really understanding kind of what I'm buying and what maybe my opportunity is in the future and what maybe I didn't notice the first time around. It's like the big rocks have been established. From a financial standpoint, we understand the cash flows are going to work not just for you. It's going to work for the bank. The sellers agreed upon how it's going to be working back in the practice. We get it. So high level, all the parties agreed this is going to work. Now we just need this additional due diligence going in and looking at some decisions we'll make post-close. Yep. So first things first, look around. Go in the practice. Walk in the front door. Look at the patient waiting room area. I say these things because sometimes I have clients all the time that'll be like, oh, I didn't remember. Like, I wish I would have taken pictures just Mm -hmm. so I can visualize, like, what this will look like and things I want to make. I don't say that so that you can walk in and be like, Oh, the carpet's super stained. The paint looks dingy. I think I might have offered too much. The goal of this is to say, what am I going to do to make this my own? How am I going to kind of maybe cosmetically improve this to change it? And I'll caveat this by saying, this is the seller's house. Definitely. 
and you have to respect that and they have built this and they know what is wrong with their house. It is not your job to point it out. So you are walking around, you're looking around, you're taking all this in, but it's not so that you can nickel and dime or, you know, negotiate further. Clearly, if there's something big, we can talk about that, but this is more just so you get a better understanding and have a clear picture of maybe what your vision for this practice is once you're an owner. I relate this to your great grandmother's house, or more importantly, I went to my beautiful wife's, uh, we went to her grandmother's house. And I mean, there's like ashtrays that are still sitting out from like the 70s. <laughs> I mean, the pictures are just, it's quite entertaining. There, there, Lots the, of Chotskys. There's opportunity here for, <laughs> for upgrade, but you go into these homes with respect. Mm-hmm. There's no time. There's not a place here to talk about any of the, the major changes. You're making notes and records mm-hmm. of what the opportunity that we're going to do in the future. That's it. And so that's one of the things is just look around. Um, The organization, I think you can tell a lot from how organized a practice is, right? Clearly, this practice has been successful based on cash flows with how they are operating. It may be organized chaos, Mm-hmm. But it works for that seller. No doubt. But it is important to see what does that front desk look like? What do the patient charts look like? How organized, how clean, what does it look like? And so that's something just to kind of pay more attention to. The big thing to look at on a site visit and to pay attention to is the equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many clients I've had who have just in their preliminary visit have been like, ah, I'm like, what does the equipment look like? And they can tell me like, I think it was okay. I wasn't really paying attention. This time you're going to walk through each operatory. You're going to pay more attention to the chairs. How old are they? Do they look operable? Are they held together by duct tape? You know, are they brand new? One's brand new, but three are older. Let's pay attention to that. And it may be a case where if you do have concerns, maybe about the age of the equipment, that's already been taken into account in the price, right? So this is, again, something we already know that is older. But if you're concerned about maybe is it operable or what investments am I going to have to make? We can talk about bringing an equipment specialist in or someone to give you an idea of what does my future need look like or my current need. And that can be done either in that site visit or maybe it's something you say, hey, would you mind if I bring someone in to give me kind of an overview just so I can plan appropriately for the future about what I'm going to need? Yeah. And this is so important of how that's worded, just like what you said, is just... You want to get their permission, mm-hmm. and then you want to bring this equipment, either specialist or even the, sometimes it's both the territory rep and the equipment specialist together. The bottom line is you're basically telling this team that you're bringing in, is not looking to mess this up. Let's don't say anything. It's working or not working, especially if they're there. You're taking note. You're looking to confirm that it's operable. You're looking at maybe VIN numbers to see how old it is. And then we've got this wish list of these things that you want to do. And this wish list could be designed after, you know, the two of you or the three of you maybe leave. And then there's the immediate needs of what needs repaired. And a lot of times it's immediate needs. It's a lot of times the computer equipment. So we'll typically uh, on these acquisitions get some quotes for some scanners or computer equipment for that immediate need and fix to get to a more paperless type practice. Or you're left-handed, right-handed. We need to make some changes to those. We have got two of those going on right now. And so it's timing of when that's going to happen. I mean, even if you know it's something that you need to do, understanding how long does it take to convert those in closing date versus when I start in the practice, maybe making sure you're timing the closing correctly to give yourself time to convert those. One thing you mentioned that I think maybe some people, people still in school, 
territory rep versus equipment specialist kind of explain the difference between maybe what those are if those exist in your supplier yeah so you got your major three corporations you've got your your benco your shine and your patterson but you've got the territory rep that typically what they really care about is your supply business because that's how they get paid so a million dollar practice that has maybe six percent supplies they're going to get sixty thousand dollars of residual revenue so they want to make sure that works now obviously they're compensated as well on equipment sales so if you get the equipment specialists, and sometimes they're just coming in and just pitching, you know, all the equipment and this is what you need and kind of maybe putting the fear of God on you. I don't know. But just understand that there are two different roles. Understand you can get multiple companies in there just to make sure that you're kind of all on the Got same it. page. Eventually, you're going to go with the company that you feel best suited for. But definitely try to move this motion kind of like a bank, get two or three banks to kind of look at it. Same thing with the equipment specialists or TRs. Let's get a couple of people in it and make sure we're all on the same page. Okay. And I think you touched on this. If you do know there are definite needs before closing, or maybe you had equipment specialists come in because it's in your situation, even early in the process, maybe even before an offer, because you want to understand what the investment would be and you know the seller well, who knows, right? But let's say they come in. I think it's important when they give you the list of what's needed, one, that it's detailed out of here's kind of everything you need and here's kind of what the cost is, but it's two separate lists. It's Mm -hmm. a need list and it's a future want list. And that what you're presenting to the seller, if you're trying to say, hey, here's what I'm offering and here's why, because here's these investments I'm going to have to make, that it's not your want list, right? Mm -hmm. It's not this full comprehensive list that lists off $200,000 worth of investment you're going to have to make because the seller is going to look at that and say, you don't need all of this. These are wants. And maybe that causes tension between you two. So clearly asking for kind of specific, hey, here's what I'm thinking and here's what I'm wanting and filling that equipment specialist or territory rep in on what your goals are of their involvement so that they can help you kind of meet those goals. Yeah. And especially too, if the established doctor is going to stay on back working in the practice for, if we're going to close in 30 days, but maybe he or she's going to stay in the practice for the next six months to a year, you're kind of setting it up that this is the vision you have with some of the changes that you're going to make in the practice. And I'd want to also caution you with not making those changes too suddenly. I think the most recent podcast with some of our success stories, I know with Brock and Derek, both said the same thing. Yep. Don't try to rework the wheel. Get what you need and It's working. Yep. Yep. The car is going. It's working. Let's don't make the major changes. Let's make some minor changes, but slowly over time, we'll get there. Yeah. And what you think you may need, maybe you don't need as much once you get in there. Okay. So the second piece of the site visit that everyone's always like, okay, I know I need to do this, but like, what do I really do? Right. The chart audit. Yes. Right. And this will depend on how you handle this will depend on, are you paper? Are you fully electronic? Are you maybe a mixture of both? That will guide you here. We're going to give you some thoughts on kind of both paper and both computerized and electronic. And this will also depend on if you're a specialist or if you're general. Mm -hmm. So kind of some big picture guidelines here. First thing, figuring out what the active patient count is, is the part of the diligence, right? And that's what most people think of when they think of a chart audit is I want to verify that the patients are actually there. There are a few ways to do this. You have a method that I've heard you explain a few times. You want to give us a rundown on that? Well, first of all, any consultant has stolen this idea from someone else. So this was stolen. (laughs) Okay. Full disclosure. I I didn't Google people with the last name letter B is roughly between 8 to 9% of the population. So the stat is the, the last name with the letter B 
is roughly between 8 to 9% of the overall population. That's last names, period. And so I tested that on our clients of uh, a little over 2,000. Mm-hmm. It's spot on. It's like 170 letter B clients. So it, this <laughs> is definitely 8 to 9% uh, rule of thumb. So what you would do is if Dentrix or whatever software system that's being used or the client or the broker is saying they have 2,000 active patients, then there better be, in this example, anywhere between 160 to 180 clients and patients that have the last name letter B. Hmm. So what you do there is if you've got a paper chart system, you would literally go to the letter B and you would pull this group and then you would just start counting Mm -hmm. and then you would use that number and essentially multiply by, in this case, 10, 11, Mm -hmm. 12 to get you to this number. So those are the overall charts. Then you now need to pull a sample from this letter B. In this case, maybe you pull all of them and you go through and you literally see which ones are active, which ones have been in that practice in the last 18 months. And so for everyone that has been in the practice for that 18 months, you pull that to a side. And then you add those up and you multiply times this 11 to 12 number. That should get you close to this active patient count. And so if they're saying 2,000, then all of a sudden you should be able to do that math, work backwards and see that indeed we do have this many active patients. You can do this either from hard copy chart audit or we can do this in the computer as well. Same thing, pulling up to the patients with the last name letter B. And kind of caveat there on active patients. So that number of what someone would consider active can range from 12 to 24 months. And so some practices might give 24 months, some might mark inactive after 18 months. 12 is also a number we see sometimes probably less likely, but that's something to keep in mind. Well, and one thing too about this new patient flow and active patient, you could be in an area. I can think of like a military town that you're going to get a lot of new patients, but you're also going to lose a lot of new patients. I can think of a practice in Kansas that did crazy numbers. It was on like a truck stop, basically, where they had the big billboard signs for all the truckers, you know, that if you're in pain, stop here, you know, pull over. So their active patient base, because they have been in the practice for 18 months, is going to be high. New patients is going to be high. We're basically just kind of burning and churning through those those patients. So we do need to be able, as transition consultants, be able to look at kind of these one-off situations mm-hmm. and be able to say this still makes sense or that we're concerned about it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so then while the active patient count is important, like you just said, there are definitely practices and specialties where maybe that's not as important as some of the other things that we're going to learn from a chart audit. One of the things that I think is most important, and I tell all our clients that are doing this, is Yes, I want you to get an understanding of how many active patients there are, but more than anything, I want you to look through and understand clinically how that seller has treatment plan, what those patients look like, what is your opportunity for growth, how have they operated and how do you think you'll be similar and how do you think you'll be different? And I think it just gives you a better understanding of what the practice is. I mean, to me, it's similar to uh, let's look in the attic and look in the basement and open their pantry and get an idea of like what type of house you're buying when you're buying a house. So for this, I would say that, and this can be when you're doing your active patient count, randomly pulling five to 10 percent of the charts if you have that amount of time and literally just going through the records looking at their x-rays looking at what notes have been taken and how thorough are the notes and when's the last time and what's their recall system and all of those pieces I think just help you understand the practice 
more. And this can be daunting, right? This can be something that you're like, I don't know, especially if you're straight out of school or residency, like how do I know what I'm looking at and how do I know how I'll be different? And so we were talking about potentially a practice management specialist. There are times when that might make sense to have someone come in. Yeah. So a couple of things here is if the established doctor has told the staff basically that this is going to happen, I think one of the greatest things you can do in the chart audit, not to be for like multiple hours, but definitely a component of this is to do the chart audit with the hygienist. The hygienist will know that patient forward and backwards. And so now the hygienist can actually go with you and say, yeah, this was diagnosed here. See, you know, this is the crown, but we just didn't do it. Have them spend the time with you through this process as well. Maybe an hour of a two to three hour process, I think is a valuable component of this. Yeah. I've heard the opposite too, right? I've heard that, oh, hey, the sellers paid me a little more aggressive than I would be on treatment planning. And so I know that I'm not going to be doing as many crowns as they typically have done. So I think you can kind of get a feeling for both sides. And again, not necessarily you know, red flags or anything, but just something right. to understand as you kind of go into this with the more data you have, the better. I would say just from our experience, the older the doctor, I would say the more conservative the treatment. Plan. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Me too. They're kind of ready to go. Yeah. And, and so they're not looking for, you know, a lot of the work. Speaking of, that's a great uh, transition is we had a, one of our clients we're working with as far as a buyer was buying their grandfather's practice. And grandfather had like 10,000 records. Okay. Holy moly. 10,000. clearly all active. Clearly they're all, he's doing it all by himself <laughs> four days a week. And so this particular practice was so just massive that we encouraged the buyer to actually spend another couple of thousand dollars. And so we recommended they use a consultant, the group is Jamison Management, you're welcome. But they use Jamison Management to come in to do the chart on. So Jamison is a rep, they flew, they looked through everything, kind of presented kind of a treatment plan of the opportunity. Obviously, it was a massive opportunity. So there are times in this chart audit you can do it by yourself, the times that we may want to bring in the hygienist, and there's times that we may, in this example, even bring a consultant in to take on a huge task like looking at 10,000 records. And we've asked them, what are some things you look at, right? And it can be as simple as, okay, well, how often are they doing their bite wings? How often are they doing their full x-ray or pano? And that can tell you kind of what type of recall system it can be. It can be how many hygiene appointments have they had, right? If they've had four, then they're probably a non-perio patient. If they've had six to eight, then maybe that's kind of an opportunity for perio. Are they doing the full treatment plan or are they doing half of it? And then there's just not that good follow-up to get the patient back in. So there's a lot of things they can look at that they can say, okay, this is you know still a solid practice, but here's some little tweaks you can make to get the most out of mm-hmm. what you're buying. So I think that just sometimes employing specialists, it's going to look at, and it can be now or it can be, after you're already in the practice and you know, hey, I've looked at it and I know there's some opportunity, but I really want someone to spend some more time and really dive in and figure out what that is. But again, it's just the more information you can have, the better. Yeah. I know for our audience, we've got a broad audience between you know our general and, and our specialists, and we've helped every single specialist uh, transition in and out. So from pros, you know, the least amount of the dental population to a huge portion of our client base, you know, is orthodontists as well. But each of these specialties are so unique. And, you know, just even give an example, like for like an orthodontist is doing this chart audit. You may look at the observation cases. You may look at what is phase one? What is phase two? Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen this all the time. It's like, what constitute a phase it's two? Messiest. Okay. So you saw the patient and you're observing them. 
Is that a new patient? Mm-hmm. Oh, now you started phase one. Is that a new patient? Oh, and let's take a look over here at phase two. Do you count them again? Or we just don't count phase two at all, and we right. lump those people into full treatment, yeah, and really there's full treatment in phase So, like, ortho, by far, I feel like they get the most out of just understanding and sitting with a doctor or sitting with someone in the office and saying, walk me through, like, a patient life cycle. Like, when do you count this person as phase one? Or when are they a new patient? Or how do you know they've, you know, they're an observation? Or whatever that might be. How about prepaids for orthodontics? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, this is a constant battle for us. Yes. So I prepaid $5,000, $7,000 for a full treatment mm-hmm. today. I get the money today, but Christy, you need to do the work for the next two years or 16, 18 months yep. for free. Yep. Oh, but just part of the deal. I mean, there's a lot to think about in all these specialists. Yeah. And some of this is just talking with a doctor is just understanding, like, when a patient comes in, what do you push for, you know, a discount for prepaids or do you not? And like, you know, what do you see the most? Just really those conversations that you'll have throughout your site visit or visits gives you just insight into how they run their practice without having to specifically ask the exact question that maybe, you know, how many prepaids do you have and what does that mean for our transition? You can kind of get a feel for that. Yeah, you'll see a lot of this too, the prepaids, even in general dentistry or in PROS or PERIO, some Mm -hmm. of the bigger cases at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. some treatment plan that's ten dollars or $15,000 and they're such in demand, they prepay up front. So now they're prepaying December. Well, when are we usually closing businesses? A lot of times it's at the first of the year. So now all of a sudden, Mrs. Jones has prepaid $15,000 for the treatment that's going to start in January. Yep. Okay, how do you deal with that? Yeah, great business practice, Right. hard in transitions, solutions, but you got to have to know that that problem exists to think about what the solution is. And oftentimes, the seller hasn't thought about it either. It's not like they've thought about this and they're trying to keep that money. Like They've just been running their business. And so it's, it's important to just understand. And looking in these charts and understanding and talking with the doctor is really going to be helpful for you. It sounds like you've done this before, Christy. Yeah, just super new. First one this week. <laughs> um, so another thing that I think is helpful is understanding both scheduling and the reporting. Yes. So if you have worked in another office or you work in another office or multiple offices, you are well aware of the difference in how long scheduling various appointments take. You know, do they double book themselves? How long is a hygiene appointment? And if there are opportunities and maybe you have a way you like to see things scheduled and the seller is scheduling differently, you clearly have an opportunity to understand what that is. See if how long are you spending with new patients? How long are those hygiene exams? Maybe that's why we're not, you know, doing some of the proper perio maintenance that we need to be doing. So that is important. And it can be as simple as, hey, can I see a two weeks of scheduling, right? Copies. They can black out those patient names, print that out of the system, and that can give you an understanding of their days and how their days flow and kind of how many rooms they're operating out of and just give you kind of a better picture. So I I highly recommend that as either part of something you look at in a site visit or something you request as part of your diligence at some point. Well, I think too, just on, on the positive and the negative. So the positive is that maybe they got some open holes and maybe we have better recall systems to fill in those holes. The positive is that they are taking an hour and 30 minutes to do the crown. You can do it in 40 minutes or X procedure, you can do it in less. So you have to look at it both ways. Maybe they're doing the crown in 30 minutes. You're like, what takes me an hour? So then that's going to be, maybe they're they're placing implants and maybe you can't. So you have to be able to look at the procedures and the times allocated for those procedures to see what the pros and cons are. Then for us, we'd be able to take that information and then in the modeling that we would have for you as the buyer or for the seller or both of you to figure out how the seller is going to work back 
and do these certain procedures and how it's going to affect your cash flow. Yeah, and I think that's a super important point because we've also had buyers who have said, hey, I like taking longer and they're cranking it out. And so that's you know maybe a concern or something where now I'm going to need the seller to work back more because it's going to take me a little bit of time to change how I've historically worked in order to kind of meet the production level. Because remember, that production level is what's driving your cash flows. And so you kind of have to be comfortable there. And so it's a good insight to how it runs. Yes. Reporting is another thing. This is not something that's like critical that happens. But if you have only ever worked with Dentrix and they have Eaglesoft or, you know, whatever the systems are, if you've never worked with it, just sitting down with them and having them run some reports and understanding kind of the flow of the system. I mean, you can Google anything today and figure out how to run something. And if you're used to that, that's fine. But I just think it's helpful sometimes to understand how they're utilizing the system because data in, data out, and kind of how to utilize those because you'll likely, unless you're going to convert to some other system, which we don't recommend doing right after the close, you're going to have to utilize that system at some point to just manage kind of right after the close. So that's really important. Good point. And we've touched on this several times, but I think it's important to highlight for another time. Sometimes, and not all the time, but for a lot of buyers, especially if certain brokers are involved, the site visit may be the first time you've really been able to spend any time with the seller. A lot of times the broker will not allow you to be with them alone or you can't have any direct contact till after a letter of intent's put in. And so this site visit really allows you some time to talk with the seller, right. get to know them more, understand in their own in their house where they're comfortable. You're learning about what they've developed and what they're passing on to you, and they're really proud about it and just really getting to know them. And so I think that for most people, when they walk away from a site visit, they feel more comfortable with what they're buying, but they also feel more comfortable with whom they're buying it from. And for the seller as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is your opportunity to prove yourself too. Yeah. So let me give you a quote from, his name is Jim. He's he's, (laughs) He and his wife are so sweet. They're followers. But when I looked at the financials and he kind of downloaded this story of this practice he's going to buy, and I say these things, I don't even know I say these things, but I looked at both of them and I said, do you guys go to church? (laughs) 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 And they they just kind of started smiling. And I'm like, because this is an amazing deal. And then uh, the other famous Loretto quote is, don't screw it up. Again, it works both ways for the selling doctor. So selling doctor, if you feel like this, just gift from the man upstairs just walks in this like this person just walks in and it's just like amazing it's going to be the amazing transition of your life work sellers don't screw it up yep. you know it works the same way so just because again we've got some outdated stuff in this case in Jim's situation they had a bunch of outdated stuff but it worked mm-hmm. we had functioning equipment but more importantly the practice from a collections and overhead word was amazing even the price was amazing so again if we get a practice and it is outdated and all this stuff it's working but we also have a fantastic price mm-hmm. then i'm okay with paying full asking price because it's below market price yeah right yeah now in my situation we had earlier where we paid 90 percent of collections it was outdated cash flows were amazing but I do think that it's time to give a little bit from the seller because it's fair. Yeah. So it just depends what the situation is. And we're here to try to guide you to what that is and when to... And not like get caught up in the weeds. Yep. Yep. yep exactly. Absolutely. So this is a lot of ground to cover in a single visit. And we know that. And we're here, if you're a client of ours, we're here to guide you and give you kind of a, hey, here's what we think you should cover. And here's 
based on your transition, kind of some things to keep in mind as you're looking through those records. But sometimes you're going to be able to do this in one. Sometimes it'll take two. Sometimes you'll feel comfortable in one area and focus more on the other. The goal is to gain comfort. And like you just said, gain comfort in what you're buying, gain comfort in who you're buying from. This will be your house soon. So look in the closets. But remember that something done differently than how you will do it is not done wrong. It's just different, right? And you can change things when you come in. Stay focused on the opportunity and use whatever knowledge you gain in your site visit as an advantage and as a planning tool for moving forward and becoming an owner. You'll be successful. We know you will. So any last thoughts? Just, I'm just proud of what we're doing. We're getting so many good feedbacks from people. And, and if you find these podcasts of value, just remember to share these with both established doctors and two younger colleagues, because we're huge, huge proponents of private practice dentistry. And this is definitely a tool that we think of great value that can help kind of promote that private practice dentistry and all the transition needs. So Absolutely. So share us, subscribe yes. to us, yes. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Have a wonderful week. And until next time. Good job, Christy. Good job. Bye.